I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to <clears throat> Exodus chapter 27, or on your telephone or iPad, whatever you have. <clears throat> and then after Exodus 27, we're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll be there uh, shortly. Uh, I have uh, talked to the Lord this week in many ways, and there's just so much on my heart. I want to begin this morning by telling you, first of all, welcome to the service. I am so glad you're here. <laughs> you braved the storm. And, and let me just say not to remove the reward. Uh, Brother Doyle Bridges, one of our deacons and our treasurer here for Christ Legacy Church, yesterday came and worked and took a little square point shovel and cleared the sidewalks and the driveway so that you could get in here today. I just want you to say thank you, Brother Doyle, for helping us out. What a, what a great guy. Thank you. There's so many things. I had a couple of young men today that worked all over this platform this morning, and we've encountered a couple of water problems and all that, but these young men come. I want to tell you, it will be the greatest investment you make to raise your children <clears throat> in the house of God. I come to the pulpit this morning with what I want to call a, uh, an urgency. I'm, I, I come with alarm because I feel, I know, I have my, the heartbeat of the world and especially our nation and I, I believe, especially of the Christ, the urgency of the Spirit of God. That urgency comes because I want you to listen extremely on purpose today. And I want you to make an application so I ask you up front, make this application today's message individually. I want you to make it as a family. I want us to make these applications as a church. And I trust we will make them as a nation. So as we travel this morning through this word, I, I want us to keep those things in mind. Because let me rehearse it. As the individual goes, so the family, so the church, so the nations. And we are in a very, very, I believe, dangerous time spiritually in this world. Father, bless us today as we travel together through your word. Whether we be in the sanctuary or in our homes, I pray that the Spirit of God, Lord, would enlighten us. Not by the words of this pastor, Lord, but that of the Spirit of God that we might be servants in this late hour. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus, or when God, excuse me, established Israel as a nation, God gave to them laws, ordinances. He gave to them, can I say, rules and regulations, commandments. These were not just so that God could say, oh, I can get you when you miss it. These are not used by God so that he could just try to see what all we could endure. 
I detest what most people make out of the God of the Old Testament because I want to tell you he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's a God of love. He's never been against the human being. He's never been the author of death. It all came by sin. But God places laws and instructions and principles and and commandments and, and ordinances and is designed to live in a structured society where men can live in safety and in peace and where we can be blessed by the creator. But it was all designed, can I tell you, in a linear way, it was all designed to keep the nation in a righteous trend. When the tabernacle was established, one of the ordinances that I want to use it today was called the menorah. It was a one-piece hammered golden candlestick. It had great designs on it, like the almond leaf and all the things you can read about it actually over in, in Exodus 25. He made that candlestick. I trust you're familiar with its look. We'll see it here. There you have it before you. It was for a great purpose. The purpose was that it was God's light that could be seen in that tabernacle, in the old tent church, if you will, to let the people know that the presence of God was there, so his light and his holiness and his presence. And it was to, con- to burn continually. I want to read about it, chapter 27 of Exodus. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. I want you to say that word. Is that the word that's there? I want you to say it's to burn how? 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 You got that word in your mind? Verse 21. In the tabernacle of meeting where God meets with his people through the priest, outside the veil, which is before the testimony. He's talking about the old tabernacle, its outer court, inner court, most holy place, before the covenant of the Lord. We, we know it as the Ark of the Covenant. Outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generation on behalf of the children of Israel. What I want to point out is this. God asked them, commanded them, put it as an ordinance, have this lamp. Your job as the priest to represent God to the people and the people to God is to be sure that they know that lamp is burning continually. Israel's history, as you know, when he started, they were blessed, then they failed. They would go into judgment and God would come and help them and start over through the 15, I think, covenants of the Old Testament. But let me just say it like this. Israel's history is a sordid record. But God would bless them and then they would become independent and they didn't need God and they would commit syncretism. They would begin to blend the other world's religions or other culture religions in with that what God had said and they would fail. And when God takes his blessings away, men digress and they go into judgment. 
And it happened over and over and over. But thank God, every generation or so, a king would have a great heart for God. And you can read it through Israel's history. A national revival would come when the king would recognize a biblical worldview. That God is in charge, he's the creator, and he sets these things before us. God's ordinances would once again be practiced, and then God's blessings, as he promised, would flow. I want to read in Second Chronicles just such a time. Chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the door. I just want you to look at all the things that a pastor could preach about this morning. And please put it in in context of our nation and and, and all that we see going on. Listen to the instruction. He brought the priests in, verse 4, and the Levites. Well, let me go back. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. That lets you know that it had been neglected and it was in ruins. Verse 4, then he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out, listen to this, the rubbish from the holy place. God help us to never have rubbish in the house of our God. For our fathers have transgressed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and they have forsaken him having turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, the entry. Put out the lamps, which was the very thing I want to talk about this morning. Put out the lamps that have not burned incense, which is over on the incense altar, or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to God of Israel. Therefore, because of all these things, The wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble. Let me tell you what that means. God literally withdrew his blessings, and when God withdraws his blessings, ladies and gentlemen, the nature of fallen nature and that of this sin-cursed planet, we always go, can I say, downhill in a digression. So he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering as they see, as you see with your eyes. I want to just notice that statement. The king is saying to the priests, get this back in order. Make sure this happens because here's why we are where we are. I want to tell you something. America is in danger today because we have tried to shut the house of the Lord and they're trying through the freedom of speech, take it away so that the house of God is not existent in this nation anymore. Wake up, Christian. We had better understand, have understanding of our times. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't be political. I want to tell you, I don't want to be political, but I will do this. I'll stand up for the word any day compared to what men want to do. 
He gave them trouble. You can see it. Verse 9. For indeed because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword. And our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Can I tell you what he's talking about? We're in bondage. We are not living in peace. We are not living in holiness. We are not living in a culture where love is expended. We're in a place where it's, can I dare say it, dog eat dog, self Me, myself, and I is the trend of the day. Verse 10. Now it is in my heart, this is the king, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn from us. My sons, verse 11, young people in this sanctuary that go to Christ's legacy, young people online today, wherever you are, hear this message. My sons, our daughters, Do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. That means God has a call on your life. He deserves first place. I think we could take our shoes off and know that we're treading on holy ground. When God's New Testament Messiah arrived, it's no secret that Israel rejected him. And for 2,000 plus years now, the nation has experienced bondage and defeat. Wars have gone through a holocaust, as we know, tremendous tragedy. They have been scattered to the furthest parts of the earth. God promised he would gather them twice. He did. And can I tell you, in just the last 40 years, God has been bringing Israel again back to Israel. Just like the scripture says, yet this Christ went on even though Israel rejected him, he fulfilled his mission and he is soon to return. I want to say thank God for the church age that I live in. Thank God for the coming Messiah. Thank God that the, for the times of the Gentiles. Ladies and gentlemen, if God's mercy hadn't gone to the Gentiles, none of us in this room would be saved. But just as Christ said, in the latter days, the Antichrist will come. I believe the Antichrist is in the offing. I believe he's alive. I believe he's here. I believe he's ready. I believe he is soon to come. But eventually, with just in a short time, we're about to see the hour when every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord and he is the Messiah of the eternal God. That truth places before you and me the importance of lighted lamps. If the enemy of the spirit and the spirit of Antichrist has their way, the lamps that I'm going to mention this morning will be extinguished. These lamps I'm about to tell you about must be burning continually. There's seven of them, just like the menorah. I won't keep you two hours. Thank you for not saying praise the Lord. (laughs) I want to talk to you about a lamp that must remain burning continually. Number one is the lamp of evangelical doctrine. Now, some of you go, oh, pastor, that term just kind of, what is all this about doctrine? I just want you to listen very carefully. 
across the United States of America and this world, but because it's my beloved nation, I want to share something with you. If we do not maintain evangelical doctrine in our preaching and in our church and in our homes, our nation is going to be destroyed. In this evangelical doctrine, a subtopic is this. We must keep the lamp burning. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We have gurus and and Hollywood personalities and TV personalities saying today that there's hundreds of ways you can go ever eventually it will all wind up at the same things. That is not true. You say, Pastor, that's very narrow-minded. I want to tell you, it is not my words, it's the word of the Lord. There is no other name given unto all humanity whereby we can be saved except for the name Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ of God. We must keep that lamp burning. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan will do everything he can to quench that light. Satan distorts the truth today about our Christ. Today, this truth about him being the only way is ridiculed. It is considered absolutely insanity. It is today rejected as archaic. It is scorned by evildoers. Satan would reduce Jesus to a teacher among teachers, a prophet among prophets, a religious zealot among religious zealot, but quench the lamp of Jesus being God's son, deity, God himself. Everywhere we have the ethical Jesus, everywhere we have the social Jesus, everywhere we have the prosperity Jesus, everywhere we have the soft popular Jesus, everywhere we have the good teacher Jesus. But I want you to hear it. The death of Jesus, the peasant patriot, the death of Jesus, the martyr zealot cannot redeem us from our sins. Only the blood of deity can save our eternal souls. Generation 2021, we must preach again. Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and mercy. We must preach again. Jesus is the Lamb that can take away the sin of the world. We must keep the lamp of the light of the world of Jesus, God's Son. Secondly, the personality and the work of the Holy Spirit. God the Father is on the throne. God the Son is at his right hand making propitiation, the Scripture says, to you and I. But on earth and indwelling every believer is a high and holy spirit. There is inside of me as a twice-born man with the Father a comforter that dwells. He is the spirit power giver. He is the sustainer. He is that one that produces fruit. He is the spirit teacher. He's the guide. He's the leader. He's the voice. He's the unction. He's everything we need and one one that can keep us from falling and he will help the Savior present us faultless before the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we better keep that lamp of the spirit burning in our lives.
The third of this is the doctrine of a second coming. This lamp is a major part of the New Testament teaching. It is called the blessed hope. The New Testament declares he is coming to receive all that are looking and longing for his appearance. I have a question. How can our late day look and long for him who is coming if they do not know the truth about his return? You do away with the second coming of Christ and we have no blessed hope. I could go on and on and mention the, the, about divine healing and about faith and about baptism and many, many doctrines of this book. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the truth of evangelical doctrine must be a lamp that is not extinguished. I don't care how unpopular it may seem. I don't care how few a crowd it may draw. We are, we are responsible to keep this word as God has given it. Second lamp is the lamp of worship. The Bible literally commands us to worship. Young people, mom and dad, God wants this world to know him through our worship. God wants this world to know his son through our holy living. I'm concerned perhaps many attend church today for only what they can get out of it. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Here's why. Because we have forgotten our responsibilities. Can I tell you something? Not only are we commanded to be in the place of worship, read Hebrews, especially as you see the day approaching, do not, do not, how does the scripture go? I missed it. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching. But today, we, we, we don't go to church anymore, hardly in America. And if we do, it's an hour on Sunday, but thank God we have that. But during that time, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you, we have a responsibility while we're in this house as well as when we're outside this house. What is it, Pastor? We must contribute to the worship of our Christ in this place. I didn't hear many amens there. We have responsibility. We must make a contribution. I'm going to get a little cynical here, but that means we shouldn't sit here with our arms folded and say, well, why doesn't the Spirit of God move like it used to? Then you let it move. You're supposed to bring a readiness. You're supposed to come to this place. Can I tell you, the Scripture says that we will come and bring a sacrifice of praise. Well, what does that mean? When I was raised in a church as a little boy, we had a, a lady way up in her years. She and her husband were retired ministers, and every Sunday night we had what we call testimony service. How many remember testimony service? And I mean, we would sing several hymns and songs, and then we'd take 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 45 minutes in the middle of service. Anybody want to testify? And they would get up and talk about what the Lord had done for them that week or something that was good, and they would give the glory to the Lord. But Sister Chandler was just a lady that I admired greatly. Way up in years, and she every Sunday night. Let me take you back. <clears throat> me and the rest of the guys and young people, we would sit right on the front two rows over on this side, and we had a guitar and tambourines and 
and everything you could play. And we played drums and music. And I'm telling you, we were way advanced of what we have today. <laughs> I mean, we were forerunners of what we have today. Certainly not advanced. But we did that, and I played guitar, and everybody would sing it. And then, boy, if somebody had a good testimony, we'd strike up a good song right in the middle, and people would worship a while, and then we'd settle down and have another testimony. We couldn't wait to play a certain song and make everybody happy. You laugh at that, but I want to tell you, those are great memories for me. But Sister Chandler would get up every Sunday night. You could count on her. Every Sunday evening, she would start her testimony like this. And we would say it with her. Not out loud, but the teenage kids, we'd say it with her. She has no idea what a testimony that's been in my life because here's what she'd say. My dad would usually lead the testimony service. He was the deacon. He wasn't the pastor, but on Sunday nights, pastor would ask him to lead the testimony service. <laughs> she would stand and she'd say, Brother Brooks... I find there's two times to testify. Once when you feel like it and once when you don't. I find there's two times to worship. Once when you feel like it and once when you don't. But I need it from you. Your children need it from you. Your friends need it from you. Your mate may need that from you. Ladies and gentlemen, why do you think God wants us to worship together? Because God can do something in the atmosphere of worship among his people. Don't think these worship wars over the last couple, three or four decades hadn't been a trick of Satan. Oops, touched a nerve place right there. Do you realize that God is the one who created music? Oh, do you realize that it is God who anoints those things? I just opened a page I didn't want to go to. I'm just simply saying, ladies and gentlemen, when we come here, we should pay the sacrifice if necessary to be sure the place is filled with a worship. Here's why. Too many have to be entertained today. Today we demand religious artists, and I thank God for the religious artists. And we have some of the most talented today people that are writing gospel music and talent. I love it. I thank God for their gifts. I listen to it. I praise God for it. With Pastor Henry Wright's stuff is on. As a matter of fact, I think the last song today was Brother Henry's song. I want you to know God's anointing these people. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not to make you and I spectators. We are supposed to participate with that. I want to tell you why. Your worship, your input, your enthusiasm, your sincerity, ladies and gentlemen, is a contagious thing. Well, amen. Don't let the light of worship go out. Third lamp is this, the lamp of God's word. This book lights our churches it lights our homes. It lights our nation. It is certainly a light to this last hour. This lamp, God's word, will prepare me for life. This word will prepare me for death. Can I tell you, you and I will be judged by the message in this book.
Christian believers, let us have a Bible-lighted church. Let us have Bible-lighted homes. Let us have Bible-lighted families. Keep the light of this word burning in your life. Fourthly, the lamp of Christian morality. I want you to hear this. Morality will not produce regeneration. But regeneration will and must produce morality. Did you hear me? I want to say it again. Morality will not produce regeneration. Being moral won't save you. But I want to tell you something. Being saved in regeneration will and it must produce morality. The church, even after it says we're saved and I love Jesus and on and on, they must be moral and not immoral. Christianity is not religious. Christianity is when you're truly born a second time, you come into relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is lived, ladies and gentlemen, lived out loud as the term is in some places today. It's lived out loud, but it's lived in the midst of darkness. We are not supposed to live like the world. Now, that doesn't mean we get off in some cocoon and we preach against white belts and white shoes like they used to. (laughs) Some of you have no idea what that means, but I lived back in some of those days. I want to tell you something. Nothing illuminates a dark world like Christian character. The real sermon, the real sermon is in your holy Daily living. Say amen. It's true. So I'm going to meddle a minute. Do I have your attention? I'm talking to the Christians now. Do we excuse envy? Do we excuse malice? Do we excuse selfishness? Do we excuse gossip? Do we excuse pride? Do we excuse a cold heart? Come on, Bill, we got to make it unanimous. Thank you. Do we excuse lewd behavior? All under the guise of, well, I'm just human. Generation 2021, perhaps we should trim the lamp of holy living as we see the day approaching. I want to tell you, God's still going to hold us to a moral compass. And I've heard it, and I've heard it, and I've heard it. Time and again. Well, Pastor, I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. What you're saying is that what this book says is an avenue for you to be a victor is not true. But through this word and through obedience and surrender and death to self, you and I can conquer anything the devil brings along. If, if that's not true, we don't know about victory in this book. And that brings me to the number five lamp, the lamp of entire sanctification. Isaiah prayed that Jerusalem's salvation will be, it's in the verse, as a lamp that burns. Isaiah, 
when I read that, I understand Isaiah wanted to see a steady stream of righteousness in his nation. God grant us in the United States of America again a steady stream of righteousness as the rule of this nation. This is what America needs. Can I be personal a minute? I want something. I want something that's beyond religion. I want something that's beyond philosophy. I want something that's beyond higher learning. I want something that reaches the depravity of my soul. I want something that has the power to change the darkness of my thoughts. I want something that resonates and stirs me when I have a cold heart. I want something so that every avenue of my life is declared clean before the Father and not just Sunday and Christmas and Easter. Call it sanctification, call it holiness, call it deeper life, call it dedication, call it consecration. Whatever call you call it, but get it. At all expenses, get it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not sanctified until our recreation is sanctified. We're not sanctified until our habits are sanctified. We're not sanctified until our homes are sanctified. We're not sanctified until our marriages are sanctified. We're not sanctified until our stewardship is sanctified. Paul prayed a prayer to the church at Thessalonica. He was only there for a few short days, but God gave him a love for that church. He prayed over that church because he loved it deeply. Yesterday when I went to rewrite all this rough draft, it just hit me with such depth. I want to pray this right now for you. My church, my flock, this day, this time, this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ I've given 33 plus years to this church ladies and gentlemen I want us ready for the return of the Christ Let us be sanctified. Lamp number six is the lamp of a consecrated home life. Pastor, I thought you've already talked about it. I have, but I want to meddle some more. (laughs) I think perhaps Satan's fiercest attack may be against the family. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time that we hear again. Our vows to one another in a marriage vow is serious business in the high court of heaven. I think we need to hear again that God is going to hold us to our vows. Can I tell you the scripture warns 
of this, it is better that you do not ever make a vow than to ever make a vow and break that vow. I want to tell you something, young generation. It is a dangerous thing to break a vow that you made before the Father. And we've got to where we make marriage ceremonies, some big kind of parties, and I'm all for the fun and the frivolity of it. But I want to tell you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit attend that wedding, and they listen to those vows, and God intends that we keep those vows, even if we do it in celebratory manners. It's true. I probably don't have any friends left, but I'm going to teach you the truth. We do not vow until debt do us part. We do not vow until arguments do us part, or until pressures do us part, or incompatibility do us part, or whatever you want to put in there. I will be bold. Husband and wife, let me speak to you. Is the law of kindness on your tongues? Is there a snappy sarcasm on your tongue? Is there rudeness from your mouth? Call a fast. Call a prayer meeting. If necessary, get the wife and the kids, sir, in the middle of a living room and just sit in the floor in a circle. But whatever you do, light the lamp of consecration in your home and in your marriage. The time is at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, our homes, our homes should be consecrated places. I've told you before, when I was a boy, we lived 15 miles from the church out in the country. And my dad and mom were very great friends of the pastor for, I think, almost 10 years. Every Saturday night, just very often, three out of four, at least that's where my mind goes. They would come and we would just have a sandwich or watermelon or something. And we would just have fellowship with the pastor. He had two sons and then a third one. And we... His middle son is one of my best friends. But we, at the gathering, at the end, we would all get in the old living room floor where there was an old linoleum rug on the ground. It was a kind of a plastic thing, I don't know. But we'd kneel at the couch or the chairs or whatever, and the Brookses and the McCartys would have prayer meeting for the service the next morning. I can't tell you what that did to me from the time I was six years old to the time I was 16 years old or somewhere along that line. I have seen the Spirit of the Lord move in those prayer meetings in those homes and watch God do works in the next Sunday in the evening services. But I want to tell you, we consecrated our homes. Consecrate your home. I suggest every person that that owns a home or wherever you live, I believe we ought to take some anointing oil and put it over the doorpost of our homes. Pastor, literally, yes, literally. I've never lived in a place that I did not anoint my doorpost. Frankly, in the ministry, I can't tell you how many, maybe dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, I've gone and anointed doorposts of people in my church. Last lamp is this. It's the lamp of immortality. 
I am amazed at how Satan has managed to distort the truth of immortality. We say today that we do not believe in hell. And then we ask the questions like, does it all end at death? Is there life beyond the grave? And we're studying paranormal ghosts and all these things. If you want to really know about the spirit world, you ought to get in the book that created it all and knows all about it. Instead of people with machines men have made. <laughs> they get on there and they ask these ghost questions. If you're here, if you're here, if you're here, if you're here. I want to tell you, there's an evil spirit around all of us at all times. And to be honest with you, the last thing we want to hear is what he has to say. And if he's talking to you, he's lying. <laughs> it's just getting real. Satan has so twisted the, the, the doctrine of immorality. I want to say this for time and eternity. If there is no life beyond the grave, then there is no day of judgment. And then there is no moral law to which we are held accountable. But there is life beyond the grave and there is a judgment day and we are held accountable to moral law. And the truth is, I don't care where you are, you know it in the deep part of your spirit. Come and tell me, young person. Come and tell me, middle-aged. Come and tell me, male, female, old, young, whatever. Come and tell me that you don't believe in hell. Come and tell me you don't believe in life after death. But it, deep inside, you know better. Twenty twenty one, eliminate moral law and humanity will live like wild beasts. Paul listen to this. I say this in a stark difference of all the messages that this society today is hearing. Paul said, if Christ be not risen the first fruits of them that sleep if Christ be not risen your faith is futile and you are still in your sins there is no hope if in this life only we have hope in Jesus Christ we are of all men most pitiable or miserable but I want to declare to you but now Christ is And because he lives, this eternal book says, I'll live also. Ladies and gentlemen, quench the lamp of resurrection and you have life without any future at all. But I want to tell you this, the struggling worker, the bereaved parent, the dying man or woman, youth that struggle with questions and emotions, drug addicts and alcoholics tell them that Jesus lives give them that light and you'll flash a lamp of light that turns their questions into doubts and doubts into fear into faith and hope tell them that shine that light they'll know hope and they'll know truth generation 2021 these lamps must burn continually and continuously.
but extinguish these lamps and the human race will shipwreck. And all across our world today, every value that has ever built this nation in any kind of moral direction is now under question and under siege. If we destroy these lamps, ladies and gentlemen, America will fall. We will not be any different than any other nation. In the light of these eternal truths, I bid you today, unbelieving friend, I bid you to come to God. Awaken to what's going on this very day. This very day. I ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten your spirit. Those of you who are watching online this morning, this is your hour. This is your time. And I've asked the Lord to anoint me to speak to you. I want to pray with you. Father, I speak truth to those who are without you. Listening perhaps God by media. Lord, may the Spirit woo them and they pray this prayer. Lord, I know I am without a Heavenly Father. I know I'm without salvation. But I come to you today. I surrender to the wooing of the Spirit. The attention that has been brought. And I confess my sin. I plead with you, Lord, that I need a Savior. I believe Christ is the Son of God. And He died and rose again. And in my repentance, I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, make me. Lord, I will surrender my heart and life to you this very moment. Make of me that which you have designed for my future, that I might live for the glory of Christ. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that you keep your word. Amen. On the line this morning, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go to our website and push That's Me because I've been praying all week. Dozens and dozens and hundreds of you would come to the Lord and I want you to let us know. I want you to let us know. So let me say to the Christian friends, we have great purpose in these last days. Let your lamps burn brightly till Jesus comes. I started with this phrase. I want to end with it. Why, Pastor? Why do all that? To keep our nation in a righteous trend. How many of you agree we need to be in a righteous trend?